Hello, it is time to head north. I am Natasha Ryan, and unfortunately, my favorite co-host, Vince Vargas, is shooting his show right now, Mayans, so he is unavailable. So joining me today on the podcast is TJ Kelly from Racecure. Hi, TJ. Hi, Natasha. How are you? I am well. Thanks for joining us. And of course, my wonderful CEO, and I'm not just saying wonderful because he's on the call, Steve Hernandez. Steve, thank you for carving out time. Thank you for having me, Natasha. <laughs> okay, so I want to start with a little bit about what Race Secure's mission is, what you do, and then I want to talk about the growth that I've gotten to personally witness, which has been fantastic. But TJ, just kind of speak to what Race Secure does in case listeners have aren't familiar with your company. Sure, and thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for you know for having me today. Um, so Race Secure, we are the uh, the standard in mail security. Soon as we say that, everybody thinks we mean email. We do not. We mean physical mail, postal mail. Uh, we make a technology product. Uh, you could think of it like X-ray, though it is not X-ray. It is uh, on the other end of the spectrum, which makes it totally harmless and perfectly safe for operators to use. And we can see through mail packages, envelopes, parcels, cardboard boxes, anything except metal, given that it is not X-ray. Uh, and we back that up with a support service. Uh, with our chief security officer, who I believe is actually going to join us in a little bit. Uh, Will Plummer is a 25-year U.S. Army veteran uh, and a uh, EOD and explosive ordnance disposal expert. So he and his team uh, back up all of our clients. If they get something in the mail, they can see through the package and they can tell there's powder in there, there's liquid in there, there's wires, batteries, that kind of thing. Something that shouldn't be inside your regular mail, they call us. Our team can remote into the system, see what they see, uh, and we can usually talk them off a ledge a little bit, explain to them, listen, I don't know why there's two wires and a battery in there, but there's no blasting cap. There's no explosive. It's okay for you to open that. Oh, it turns out it's a singing birthday card. Great. All right, everybody's safe. Have a good day. Right, that kind of thing. So that's the service we provide. Uh, do a lot of work in corporate, uh, do a lot of work in corrections, do a lot of work in some residential executive protection type stuff. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, a world that's much bigger than most people realize. Um, so that's Absolutely. what we do, mail security. All right, Steve, a little bit about your background, please. Yeah, well, um, so great to have you on. I uh, started off in the Army, uh, was in the infantry, got out of that, got into some of the high-risk security stuff, um, and and then started to do security consulting work, uh, did the executive protection circuit for a while, training circuit for a while, um, currently, you know, sworn law enforcement officer, um, both in a reserve and then a fully commissioned standpoint out of state. Um, I, uh, I've really been passionate about building an organization that's focused on managing customer risk. You guys sound like you're a very integral part of that um, on a day-to-day -day basis with a lot of very valuable customers. So I'm excited to have a conversation about it. And, and I'm already like the wheels are spinning. So what I originally thought we were going to talk about, uh, I'm already tabling because I'm, I, you know, Steve has an entrepreneur's heart. We all know who knows Steve. And I'm thinking about, you know, I, I mentioned that I've had the ability to watch you guys grow in like a year and a half. And it blows my mind how successful you've been. So I kind of want to speak to when you get an idea in your head and you see a need, how do you have the guts to actually jump on it and make it happen, create something like you have to address a need and make work environments safer? Like, were, were you guys scared initially? Like, what was the startup process like? 
for Race Secure. So yeah. ours is actually a unique background story. Um, so I, I'm not a company founder. Uh, I would love to take credit for that, but uh, our founder is Eric Giroux, and he gets the credit for uh, you know the the idea and the early execution, especially, uh, and of course remains chairman of the board and uh, and on our, our commercial side now. So uh, what Eric uh, was able to build and what we've been able to continue uh, came from a national lab in Canada. So if you know anything about the way the Canadian government does some of the research projects, this group is called INO, which is French for the National Optics Institute. Uh, and you could think of them like, um, you know, DARPA, although not exactly military focus. Um, and so they uh, were charged with a task from Trudeau, uh, I think in 2015 or so, when, when that initially started. Uh, and here's Will. Uh, we'll be able to back oh, me up on some of this. Um, well, sorry about that. You're fine. Hi, Will. Hi. So, um, yeah, so the, you know, and I forget exactly the year if it was 2015 or so, but uh, what happened is the Canadian government had uh, a problem. They had a lot of drugs and other kind of, you know, shady things coming into the, the government by way of the mail. And it was causing shutdowns in their facilities, in their parliaments and offices, uh, up to something like uh, 80 times a year, I think is the, the number I've heard most recently, which is something like every three days. Some, you know, Canadian government office is getting bounced out for a couple hours to inspect some shady thing in the mail. So Trudeau looked at INO and said, fix it, right? That's, that's your mandate. And so INO invented this technology that can see through the mail, right? The, the tech, the science has always been there. NASA has been using, uh, you know, optics in this frequency range for decades, uh, but it, it only became commercially viable in the last decade or so. Uh, and so INO put that into practice uh, and were able to see through the mail to stop the drugs from coming into the Canadian government. Now the Canadians have an interesting law on their books. And that is that if the government invents any technology, so long as it doesn't jeopardize national security, they are required to sort of give that away for a commercial application. So our founder was working at INO as an entrepreneur in residence, and he was able to take that you know, R&D that the Canadian government paid for and create a spin out company. Right. This happens at MIT all the time. It happens in a lot of sort of think tanks. That's where we came from. And so we have a Canadian division as well. You know, we have offices up there, a big Canadian team. Uh, we also are headquartered in the Boston area for the U.S. division. Uh, and we put it into a, a security application and you know have been pretty successful and i think that uh the u.s company was around 2017 or 18 uh really got going and will you can back me up on some better detail there yep. but uh have really been exploding the last you know two three years uh, after that early wave in around 2018. so uh that's uh that's my rundown but will thanks for joining us but can you uh fill me in on some of the gaps there i have yeah apologize again for being late stuck on something with the ceo so okay. uh the 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 growth is actually the, the gaps where we've kind of stepped into, especially in the last 90 days. So prisons, corrections, uh, prisoners are, are dipping paper in, in drugs, meth, whatever else you whatever else they want to dip it in. They're sending it in as legal mail and the prisons can't reach in and start pulling that out. Thus, they have a good reason because it's the prisoners right to defend themselves. So we've spent the last 90 days in and around prisons catching drugs, uh, keeping them from overdosing, then lawsuits that eventually follow. And uh, with that, we've kind of tuned the capabilities and started paying a little bit more attention to to really the government side and uh, what some of the threats they're seeing on a regular basis. So DJ's got a, a great job in the background. We're just we're moving somewhere and in, in another direction with uh, with our sales here pretty quick. That's awesome. And Steve, you're, you know, law enforcement. What are your thoughts on, like, the impact this could have? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So you know it's great to meet you will by the way i it's it's fascinating to me what you guys are doing I, i've been watching kind of your guys's company grow um and you know we've even directed some clients your way over the years um 
it's fascinating to me, and this is a conversation I've been having with folks both in the intelligence community and law enforcement now for a while, is terrorism's gone, right? But the threat of adversarial actors is very much alive. What we would consider a 2004, you know, jihadist type style, radicalization style terrorist attack with anthrax is not really a threat today. I mean, it could be, very well could be, but it's more expansive today than it's ever been as far as, you know, left, right groups, activists, you name it. Um, just nut jobs, right? That want to hurt people. So my question, my first question for you guys is how does a security firm that has a number of corporate clients, I think this is what a lot of our listeners are going to look for. How do they engage with you for their clients? And then what's the ROI for that firm to engage with Ray Secure on helping mitigate risks for their clients? TJ, you want to go first? Sure. So the ROI I actually want to leave to Will, right? That's a numbers question, but it turns out to be based on the costs associated with avoiding some catastrophe, right? And so the catastrophe is really the calculation there, right? And so that's why Will, as our chief security officer, might be better off in, in giving some of the catastrophe avoidance and, you know, disaster mitigation type of answers. Uh, but in terms of engagement, we do work with a lot of security partners, um, you know, and, and you mentioned, Steve, you know, the North Group has been, you know, sending some business. And of course, we always appreciate that. We have some folks who just say, hey, you guys got to call Ray Secure. Uh, and in that way, it's just a direct, you know, partnership that we'll strike up with the end client. Uh, in some cases, we have folks that want to sit in the middle. And so the security company will either purchase or lease hardware from us uh, and then sort of upsell that onto their client. That's totally fine. We're we're negotiable on how to you know set up the business arrangement. But frankly, it's so, you know, our technology is so mobile. It's it's three feet by three feet by two feet and it weighs 70 pounds and takes one plug. Right. It can go anywhere. We've got them in the back of, you know, SUVs and Gulf streams. We've got them in basements. We got them in offices and mail rooms. Uh, so it almost doesn't map any, anywhere you want to put it, any application you want to put it, you know, together, we can we can work with that. And to his credit, Will and his team provide the support, you know, anywhere in the world, anytime you need. You know, these guys are on support calls and, and training calls at three in the morning if we're talking Australia or Singapore or something like that. Um, so it really is global and flexible. And for that way, you know, that, that might sound like a, you know, a gimme answer or something, but uh, it, it almost doesn't matter. We can, no. we can work with anybody, you know, in any sort of capacity. So when you, you start talking about, ROI, there's a, there's a couple things that we provide as well. So the cost is the cost, right? It's, it's actually nominal. We intended for the cost to be in operational fund levels for most companies, and that's where it stays. That's kind of why it's priced where it is. Um, for anybody that's going to bring business our way, it's, I believe we're sitting at 9%, 8 or 9% is what, uh, what we do with most people. Um, and again, that also, one of the reasons why that matters depends on how many you're talking about. We have people to bring in, you know, 35 systems. We're about to do business with a state and uh, it's over 30 systems and it was two hours of a meeting and they went, oh, my God, we've got to do this. So it really depends on on kind of what comes in. But <clears throat> excuse me, I've been talking for a while, but it, uh, it, it it's actually not bad. And um, we're pretty easy to work with and pretty straightforward. And the other thing is it's continual. So once we start working with somebody, it's for the lifetime of the uh, of the contract. You know, we monthly updates checking on them, uh, all the updates that we have for the systems, all the upgrades, they're all included. So you never have to go back to your client and go, hey, by the way, I need you to put another $10,000 in your budget for next year because Race Secure up the price. It's, it is what it is and everything's included in it. 
training, all of it. So when you guys start looking at what's your product services and, and the different threats that it's detecting, could you guys go through that? Just, you know, the, the anomaly threats, the, yeah. the continual threats, the, the kind of the one-offs that you've never seen before. I think that it'd be really good to just kind of get into your guys' mindset, understand what, what risk matrix you guys are helping to, to work on and what problem sets you guys are seeing and solving as far as the threats to the individual and different customer verticals that you're dealing with. Yeah. That, so let's look at it in three different setups. So most of the time inside the places they're being targeted, there's no x-ray, there's nothing in there except somebody who's been told this is poster 84 from the USPS. Look for anything that looks like this. And that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to key off of. Well, threats don't look like that anymore. Um, majority of the things that show up nowadays are insider. It's hard to misspell a CEO's name because Google won't let you misspell it. Uh, so they don't look like the traditional male threats that we've got. So scenario number one, you've got uh, you know three people charged with taking care of the entire company. Uh, scenario number two, let's say they've got a, a screening program in place. Um, the threats that they're going to look for are going to look a little bit different, right? Because they're a bit larger. And then you got an x-ray on the other end. We help because we see things that x-ray can't see. A lot of the threats that you see nowadays are less than half an inch thick and weigh less than 10 ounces because you can put them in a collection bin with a couple stamps and have them delivered. Um, majority of the threats now are also getting more personal in nature where you know the CEO or they know a little bit about them. So there's a lot of uh, intimidation, coercion, just straight up. I'm going to write something down and put something horrible in here to send to you. Uh, the, like you said, terrorism is, is over. Well, I mean, it's a little, little bit different way of thinking about it, but it's things you're not 2001 anymore, right? So what shows up are caustic powders. People are putting caustic soda, powdered bleach, things that are actually intended to cause harm on the other end inside of a package and sending it in. Uh, you're not going to find, you know, bombs, but we find a lot of feces. We find a lot of biological threats that end up getting sent into companies because they're upset. Bloodborne pathogens. Um, all these things that are anomalous that an x-ray is not going to pick up is what the threats are gravitating towards because they're smaller, cheaper, easier, and People are honestly getting meaner. So 2017, it was white powder, was usually talcum. Now, if you look at it, you actually have to worry about ricin. That's happened every year in the last five years and every presidency since 2003. And you got to worry about somebody putting something in there to try to get somebody sick. So, yeah, and when I, when I say terrorism is no longer, I'm being facetious just based on the infrastructure as a government, as, yep. as a nation that we put in place post 9-11. Yep. That's now it's just like it's, you know, it's you look back on it. And you're like, whoa, well, look at how worried we were about that. And then look at the I, I wish we were just still worried about that problem set because it was so easy to focus in on that origin, time, time, distance, direction of those threats. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. It's it's it's, Johnny you Smith. know, yeah, it's the George Hayduke model of um looking for ways to, to go after people. So one quick point, and the reason why I, I brought up those three different scenarios is scenario number two in a medium-sized company that probably has an x-ray machine, that was most likely bought with 9-11 money and bought 20-some years ago, and it's running the end of its lifespan. And if the trainer or the person that's running the, the program is even still training people on it, it, it's probably not being used effectively. So a lot of the things that people have out there are old and antiquated at this point. 
and they're still relying their company security or their organizational security on something that's not necessarily the most effective way of screening for, for threats as they come in. I want to I want to talk about two things now, because this this, you know, we run into problems where we go into systems and see things not integrated and antiquated and they aren't they aren't protected. They have this false sense of protection, mm -hmm. um, you know. And also from a business continuity standpoint, I mean, that's what you do, right? You protect things from having to shut down so that there's continuity. Security in general, the hard pitch, right, is to get people to see you need to spend the money now to prevent the money you're going to spend when catastrophe hits. So my question for you is when you go in and you pitch the continuity of this and what it could do for a company, did COVID help companies realize, like really wrap their head around business continuity and the importance of having something like what you provide or is it still resistant? I think it did for the IT department because I think the IT department became critical all of a sudden. They always were critical, but now everything has to work remotely and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and we saw a lot of resistance during COVID because people were so unsure about what they were to come back to. They really didn't know what the office would be like. I mean, hell, if you look uh, 12 months ago, you're like, we're going to stay remote forever. Major companies, major corporations that we all use every day were saying, why would we ever there's a, there's a, I don't think we get in trouble saying the name. Salesforce just built a brand new building in San Francisco, and then they abandoned their lease and took a, a millions and millions of dollar hit because they're like, we're not going back to that work model again. So I think everybody kind of went in upheaval a little bit. What we're seeing is as they come back, the world's a little bit more of an aggressive place. People are angrier. Uh, we looked at clients that were going to, we're putting the mandate for everybody to get the, the vaccine. And 200,000 people, that's how many, that's how many uh, employees we got. We expect 20,000 won't take it. We're going to fire 20,000 people over the, over the vaccine. We're going to send them all boxes, and we're going to have them send back their computers and periphery items. You're mm -hmm. asking for 20,000 suspect packages to show up on your front door that you self-addressed and stamped. You know? Um, I, I, I can I, so, so can I touch on this real quick? Because... Like my mind goes into risk manager mode right here when I start to look at this from an intelligence behavioral standpoint. Like you guys, you guys do this product side. I mean, we live in the space where we're looking for adversarial threats through human behavior. You know, mm -hmm. we've got a very robust intelligence group now that that focuses on multi multi prong, multi kind of layered environment based attacks with different personalities and. When you start looking at, let's talk nation state issues for mm -hmm. a minute. When you start looking at nation state threats, it's very, very, very focusing on uh, very aggressive poisons and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Not really explosives, right? But um, when you guys, let's say you secure a package at an organization are you guys talk, talk through that? Okay. You've secured ricin or, or anthrax or whatever at a location. What happens then? What's the protocol in place? Are you guys building out those TTPs, those tactics, techniques, and procedures for the customer? And what's the handling methodology behind it? How do you even dictate like what you handle or who you call next? Can you just walk through that from a con op standpoint of how you work that out? Okay, so varying on the company based on the SOP that we help them put in place to begin with, 
um, that kind of size that we do. But let's pick one on the on the, the far end. You said nation state. So Russia goes into Ukraine. Russian embassies around the world have started receiving white powder threats. Uh, it's happened twice in Australia. It's happened now in Europe several times. Nothing hazardous. It's just white powder, right? So it does happen at the nation state level. Um, one of the things that we do is go through and say, what are you comfortable doing? Is your company comfortable in dropping all this stuff and just walking away and dealing with a hazmat problem that's now going to take the entire room? Or do you want a containment vessel to where your individual who identifies a threat can then dump it, throw it in a, in a negative pressure, and then let the hazmat team take care of it? Or do you want to transfer this out of your building so when the hazmat team comes in, they go decontaminate that somewhere else, like with an executive protection look at it? Uh, we set up all three. Uh, oftentimes the answer is number one. I'm not with my, I don't want to increase the risk to my employees. And then there's a gradient that we all deal with companies in the middle. And then you start talking EP and nobody will ever go on that, on that compound. It's not going to happen. So it's contain, emergency decontaminate the individuals that are there, segregate them if required. Um, usually if they've been exposed, then you're going to segregate them until you can test them out. And then the next step depends on the company, but it's immediately it's contain, decontaminate, segregate. And I'll, I'll add, if I may, that, you know, like Will said, we, it kind of depends on what they want to do. But in a lot of cases, these companies or organizations have pretty well documented security protocols in place. They just have a gap in the mail. Right. And given that we're mail specialists, we don't do all the same services that North Group does and some of these other security companies, of course. But, you know, we think mail all day long. So we can take their existing SOPs and say, listen, you've got a gap here, here and here. Help them identify and fix that gap. And then they're pretty standard on, on what they want to do pretty well you know, set up on what they want to do on the rest of it. We're just kind of helping fill some of the, the mail gaps. Uh, our technology does not identify what the substance is that the, that's in the, you know, the package. We'll detect it, but we can't tell you that it's, you know, caustic or not. We can't tell you that it's bleach, talcum, or ricin, right? So for that, you still need to bring in some experts, some testing equipment, that kind of thing. And yeah. so therefore, we would be reliant on whatever their protocol is to bring in the next step. And so for us, it's often a yes, no. Do and we I need to elevate this in, you know, to the next step or not? And we help with the next step based on how much they want to expose their employees. Now, is there a way to autonomously run this product no. utilizing? So it's all it's all user based. Yeah, the, the reality is there's a couple things that we we're going to have to get farther down the road before we can automate. Uh, if it's going to the janitorial department or going to the CEO, there's no system in most companies that will be able to do that. It's a human being. So what we do is put this at the point where you're screening everything that's going to go through and sorting it. So that's why most of the time when people we deal with aren't security related folks, because that's not who's going to be sorting your mail, who's going to be screening it. That's why we rely on normal versus abnormal. The good thing about people is they're great at change action. So if you put somebody in that room that sees the same thing 500 times, bam, 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 over and over again, when 501 shows up and it looks weird, all we got to know from them is it looks weird. And then we help them out with the solution on the other end of it. 100%. That makes total sense. Now, do you feel that there's an evolution happening with technology um, overtaking kind of human error in the middle of these risks? Yeah. Look at the TSA. So they look at 100% of everything that goes through there. And if you look at the TSA when they're externally evaluated, they fail 85% of the time because they're relying on automation to step up. And here two problems with that. One, they gamify what they're doing. So they learn the 33 or 62 different images that are, that are shoved into their screen. They know every 20 minutes a new one's going to pop up. They start looking for that. 
and they stop actually paying attention to other stuff that goes through. The second thing is, is they stare at a screen for 40 minutes and they swap out and they go stand in, at a doorway or they stand somewhere else. And they're just trying to get onto the next 40 minute block of their day. They're not actually invested in what they're doing beyond not trying to have something significant happen. But yeah, when you automate a lot of this stuff and you remove the human being out of the process, you end up with some unwanted consequences. Wow, you just made me feel really good about flying out on Thursday. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Sorry. I, <laughs> what I happens when you talk to the, the grizzled security veterans all day long. Right? I, I flew with the same knife in my bag without realizing it for about nine months through probably 20 airports. And it was because the way my bag was set, it went in one way. I presented my bag the same way every time. And it was this EOD knife that was sitting vertically. And finally, after the 21st time, I was about to fly to Korea and it went in and I tossed it in sideways because I had my kids with me. So it was sitting at about a 30 degree angle and it pulls it aside. I got a $600 federal ticket for it, but I sat back and really tried to figure out. I had been in probably 15, 20 flights with that, with that same bag. Well, well, it's messed it. Well, they've got more Glock mags of mine at the TSA than, <laughs> and, and more and more nine mil and 40 Smith and West ammo, the, the 40 Smith and Wesson ammo than I would care to admit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, of course, as a red team security guy, right, I go into the airport. It's all a joke to me. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's just it's it's absolutely ridiculous on some on so many levels what's going on at the airports. And that was kind of where I was going to go with this. Like what's, is there a effort to go after the airport security side of the business here? That's one of the reasons why I was late to this call is uh, that's exactly who we were talking to is somebody who just won a TSA contract and wanted some help because some of the stuff that they do is, is ineffective. Yeah. So you have different competitors out there with the blowing machines that, that puff the air and then you have the, standard x-ray what is the difference between the puffer machine the x-ray and what ray secure has to provide for the tsa okay so the puffer machine you're going to get a whole lot of false positives uh just like the swipe for the any one of the 10 other i'm not going to name the companies but any one of the other ones that run swipe kits uh if you own steve if, if you do if you own any farmland i mean you look like you might have some and you do any <laughs> hey now <laughs> if you grow anything, you walk into an airport with those puffer machines, you could end up with a false positive because you have fertilizer on you. Anything that their library says, it I mean, I get hit all the time, less nowadays, uh, but it's not from explosives anymore. I have hobbies in my garage that have high chemical contents that end up making me get pulled aside and search for 40 minutes. Uh, the x-ray is obviously only visual. The downside to x-ray is ever, that's why that knife got through. I presented my bag in a certain way over and over and over again. And we've all been in an airport on the other end of an x-ray machine and went, oh, Jesus, I forgot I had that in my bag. How many times did something more than your pistol mag get through? A few. Yeah, right? So it, it relies on the screener. It relies on AI to look at it a little bit. And it also relies on, on luck and how you can actually beat it. So it, it's it's less for me about the technology that's being used and mm -hmm. more about like and this is just my opinion all of this technology could be beat by behavioral by behavioral anomaly detection but day. they don't they do not and it's and you know i gotta go back to the whole statement um a, a good general once said be polite professional and have a plan to kill everybody you meet right because yep. 
you you got these these security experts that you know are the TSA or whoever they are, even the law enforcement personnel that are at airports. I'm looking for those facial cues. I'm looking for that body language indication. I'm looking for the guy that I am, and I am this guy that double checks my bag 15 times before he goes through security. Now, um, every time I don't, there's a mag in there. There's a knife in there. There's something in there, right? Um, so it's really important that, you know, I think when I look at this issue as twofold, right? You have the human, the human, human intelligence side of the business. And then you have the technology driving the operation side of the business. And those two things coming together, create a systematic intelligence driving operations, Mm -hmm. right? And risk mitigation. So what could the community, security community, the, the law enforcement community do better to take both problems and mirror them into a systematic approach to mitigate risk? So I, I got a few things that I say all the time, right? One is whatever you're doing, make sure it's realistic, relevant, repeatable. And it's something that you can you can lean on. So whatever re, whatever re, response you're going to have for possible threats, make sure it's a valid one. But the other thing I tell everybody all the time, I'm like, look, the world changes. Your company makes statements. Your company's Twitter account, say your Wendy's, is really good at burning McDonald's. And people all of a sudden love McDonald's and they're going to go after Wendy's because of the Wendy's Twitter account. Right. Yeah. So people don't often step outside their their headquarters or wherever building they work at, toss their ID card in the building and close the door and say, OK, now I'm the adversary. As a security lead, I'm the one that should be, like you said, red hatting the team. Um, they'll pick, they'll do a risk assessment and then they'll live with it for four years because it comes up on the next, that's the next time it comes up on the calendar. Well, if your CEO is making statements, if you're, if you're firing 300 people, you should look at the view of the person that you just made angry. Um, there was companies in the pandemic that, well, the pandemic, through the social unrest last year, where do we put our $10 million that we want to, we want to donate? What's going to happen? Well, it doesn't make a difference where you put it. You're going to piss off either side and you're going to have to deal with the fact that wherever it goes, something else is coming back your way. Yeah. So, you're, you're traditionally your security and your security posture should be dictated by the environment in which you're operating and then the foresight of where that environment's also going. Right. I think this is a very big problem in our market because people, people chase dollars, not problems. And drive security. Yeah, and, and I think that what's interesting to me about your guys' product is it's out of the box and it's also it's also focusable because I'm guessing that you have to engage with people that are coming through places. They're you know, the biggest problem with me and say the TSA and I I think the puffer machine is very you know, I'm not I'm not I think the company that uh, manufactures that they do a lot of great things and and but I will say the conveyor belt x-ray machine is is literally what we put all those bags through right and there is way better technology than that out there to mitigate now the big thing that's always been questionable to me is mass movement in small areas with detection this has been a conversation and, and really what we what we've been able to kind of curb with that is human behavior um, anomaly detection. Right. So putting, you know, kind of collectors in the crowd to understand or or, you know, executive protection specialists in the crowd to understand behavioral indicators and cues. Um, you see this a lot with faith based organizations. Right. Where 
Um, hard skills aren't necessarily a thing. How quick can that guy index and draw and do all that stuff, right? It, it's it's more about does is he remembering who he's seen from three Sundays ago, and is that person never been there before? And then how do I go and just have a conversation with them? Right. And then where does it go from there? And it's, hey, do you want to put your your bag in this room, right? I think coat check and bag check needs to come back hardcore in a lot of different organizational environments. And I think it should go through some sort of system like yours that's semi-undetectable, right? I, I don't know if that's the case here, but this has been a conversation among security experts for many years is how do we collect without destroying the number one thing for me with some of our customers is culture, right? I cannot create a culture of insecurity and I cannot create a culture that we are trying to manage who they are or what they're doing or a culture with a lack of trust. If, so if, so okay. that's a big issue for me, right? Is how do we, how do we maintain trust in our cultures mm-hmm. uh, with our corporate customers? while maintaining security and continuity for the risks that are posing in the different verticals that we operate. So Titan Technology-wise, we're actually working on that. The human body emits terahertz radiation just sitting there. So if you take a Glock and you throw it on your hip, and we take two passive sensors that you can put basically in a wall, you don't have to hide them, and you walk through, it can high-speed pick up imagery. And this has been proven that you can you find now you put on one of those shiny metal looking jackets the ones with the commercial with the gold inside you're gonna have a hard time because metal stops what we're looking at but that's what we're looking on on our future roadmap is how to do that how to passively look at large groups of people moving through small areas um, and then it's going to have to be tied with ai somebody doing facial recognition to pick up what you were talking about uh, somebody looking at the body cues and looking at those events and then you tie it all together so you're not jerking every third person out. This guy meets three or four requirements for, for cues. They met three or four requirements for things that we've identified as being high risk. And oh, by the way, we think we see something here. But a big chunk of that, I think, has to do exactly your point. You need to look at the human being. I mean, I, I make the comments all the time. Human beings are horrible animals, right? You really need to take a look at the individual that's angry at you, the individual that's targeting you, and then go to the lowest common denominator. So I, 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 have an, I have an event coming up here that me and one of our executives are, are going to go kind of oversee the security team at um, just because of the sensitivity and the threats that are, that are surrounding this, this, uh, the individuals who are attending. And, you know, we're not going in an executive protection capacity. We're going in a uh, behavioral detection capacity and, and as well as just coordination and management. One of the things that came up is there was a threat made to that, to made to the to, to one of these clients recently, uh, and it was made obviously via social media, mail, whatever, mm-hmm. email. Um, as where digital forensics is important to place origin, time, distance, direction of of a subject who's making probable threats, and then possibly law enforcement coordination, because we all know law enforcement's not going to step in with prob- without probable cause an investigative nexus, uh, a subject to investigate. I mean, very seldom do we get the, uh, do we get the aggressive, um, 
kind of, oh, yeah, hey, we're going to do this. You do have those agencies that are like that. But at the same time, it is our job as security practitioners, whether it be on the technical side or it be on the physical kinetic side, to mitigate risk. So how do we as practitioners come together and better communicate on the evolving problem sets that we're seeing, you're seeing, and then effectively change kind of not only mentalities on the executive kind of corporate client level, but also on the practitioner level, knowing how do we make everybody know that race secure is here to make a difference that, that, you know, it's, it's not just about mitigating the, the risk of packages and stuff, but it's also about the coordination of the effort outbound. Cause I think there's so many companies that need to hear what you guys are offering, not just in the security side, but in the fortune 100, 500 space, how do we, how do we evolve that and work together as a community to kind of bolster the preparedness here? That's a long and hard question. Uh, <laughs> I'm only ever going to ask those. Yeah. So uh, education is one, right? I mean, none of, I have yet to meet security folks who really like being beat about the head and shoulders and said, you go do this, go do this, go do this. It needs to be, you know, a, an open conversation where somebody says, look, we have a problem. We think we know the folks that can solve it. They're they're going to be they work with you from beginning to end, from the the individual screener all the way up to the best protective procedures you might want to use for ricin that really have nothing to do with what we do except detection. Um, we do a lot of stuff to try to get exactly after your point. We do a lot of the webinar stuff. We're sitting here doing this for that reason. Um, I, I do not like cameras. Like most security folks, we should be uncomfortable in front of them. Right? <laughs> You're supposed to not want to sit in front of a camera and pontificate. You just want to go do work and break things. Um, but things like this, uh, I think a lot of what has to happen, and it, there's been some companies at EP that have done a very good job of it, breaking down barriers of my secrets. What I do is, is my proprietary task and purpose, and that's how I get to my end state. Um, education and a whole lot of talking, I think, is what, what the solution is going to be. Um, if you look at successful EP companies, they have a very good footprint on social media and people know what they're going to do. And there's names out there that I'm not going to name because there's a lot of stuff going on around them. But people who just opened the, the cabinet and said, this is how the sausage is made. I'm better at it than they are and I'm going to be more personable than they are. And I'm going to make sure that you feel better than when you deal with me, than you deal with them. But this is how you do it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it 100% does. And I'll tell you, I think that, you know, there's so many great companies out there that do EP. There's so many great companies out there that do risk assessments. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's the, uh, the snake oil salesmen that only care about the bottom line. Mm -hmm. and, and, and here's the thing. I think what you guys are doing is global. It's world changing. It's what we need. It's thought provoking. Um, and I think that if, I mean, we, we sure as heck are going to continue to build the relationship with race secure at the North group, just because of the value you guys bring to mitigating client risk. And I, and I, I wouldn't direct a customer that has these unique threats or problem sets, um, anywhere else. I mean, you guys, this product, I I've demoed it. I've seen it. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So I hats off to what you guys have, have built and are building and the verticals you're going down, I'm unbelievably impressed with the product. And I can't just, I can't wait to see how the generations evolve and how the technology evolves as well. Yeah. It's, it's fun to watch you guys grow as I keep saying, I mean, I just, it's crazy how much you've 
done it over the last year and a half. Uh, before I wrap this, I do, and I don't know if you guys can speak to this, but what's like the craziest thing you've seen? I always like, <laughs> I like getting these answers. Like what's the craziest thing you've seen that even made you go, holy shit. Okay. So Will's going to have all the details, but I want to see if I can sneak in because, okay. uh, you know, I, so I'm on the commercial side, right? I'm in sales, I'm in marketing, I'm in these stuff just to do events like this and go to shows. And, but that affords me the opportunity to talk to a lot of folks uh, early in the process, right? Folks yeah. who don't yet know that they have a problem, don't understand the scale and the size of the problem, that kind of thing. And so, for example, we, you know, on a call just yesterday, we had a, a prospect say they got a vial of blood in the mail. And this is a financial services company. There's no reason you should be getting anything like that. Yeah. And yet, you know, somebody's unhappy enough to send a vial of blood. Who knows if it's their own or what's in it? Who knows? Doesn't matter, right? We got companies that uh, that deal intentionally deal in biological matter, uh, you know, and some of them you've you've heard of, some of them you haven't. And so they get what you would expect for them to get, but they need to be extra sure that they are getting the right kind of stuff. And I have to be vague on purpose, but uh, some of them are are just a lot grosser than you would think. Right. So it doesn't necessarily have to be scary. It's just gross. And, you know, males gross anyway. But like, man, they, these people can really take it to the extreme. Well, uh, <laughs> so I, I'll even name names. So the presidential campaign it, going through uh, the last one, uh, Buttigieg was running for president and he's following Pence into in Indiana. And the company just put a there, there was a English grad student. And you should have seen what showed up to his house and what, what sent to his grandmother. There was some really, I mean, they went after the family. They went after everybody. And it was like, okay, the sex toys is one thing, but really intricate pictures of what was going on with him, his grandmother and like all sorts of stuff. Um, and then there's other companies out there, like go back to the, to the biological threat. There's a hardware company out there that half of us probably use that people keep sending back their hardware, just covered in shit. They, it's every other day. It's somebody just pooping in a bag or opening it up and and smearing it all around. Is that uh, is that their way of saying that it's crap technology? I've been trying to figure that out. That's that's pontificating. A, I don't have them. It's a protest. Yeah, but it's more of a protest. The I mean, it, that's it, got a smell coming into the the mail. That's room. usually what stops them. Is that it does? Yeah. That's 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 defecating. Yeah. So that's, what's crazy is you somebody carried it all the way there. Some USPS yeah. mail carrier walked it all the way yeah. to the facility and then dropped it off. <laughs> Think about that. That's yeah. that's it. Wow. That's, that's, well, that's you know, there's there's one other thing I want to mention here because this is something that's been um, something that's been bothering me tremendously about the security posture, especially here in the stateside face masks right mm -hmm. face masks have created an environment of um anonymous behavior now and and you know so where we have a package dropped off we can go we can source cctv we can get that document i mean like there's so many issues now with people being able to kind of cloak their behavior mm -hmm. um are you guys seeing it hard to catch origin on certain things no, not really. So people, we will at some point because people are smarter than we give them credit for half the time, but they're not smart enough on the process now. So they think, hey, if I just dump this in a box and send it, it's, it's going to be anonymous. The, they can figure out who it is. It's not that hard. 
Um, but a lot of times, the reason why I say no is because people want to be found. They want to know. Like most of the time when someone picks up a legitimate threat, like we had one in Canada last week, the company just decided to do some drilling. Somebody didn't agree with it. So they sent them in like 700 drill bits. Okay, great. It's a heavy box that shows up. That's your protest. But they put their name on it. And as soon as you put your name on it, they already know the companies already know who the who the crazies are that send them in stuff. So unless they're yeah, really trying to hide what they're doing, it's it's pretty easy to figure out what's going on. And Steve, you talk about the social media stuff and, you know, the, the good EP companies that are doing the monitoring and there's all these systems out there. And, you know, if for the security companies that are worth their weight, they, they're paying attention to that because it's obviously a common, you know, vehicle and channel for protest, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, we like to remind folks that mail is part of that escalation process and should therefore be documented and included by the security team and what they're looking at. Right. Well, you know, you watch our webinars and you've seen his shows. He'll talk a lot about, you know, I'm going to I'm going to send a tweet to a company I don't like and they don't respond. I'm going to send an email to that company and they don't respond. Well, one of the next things might be I'm going to drop something in a blue collection bin mm -hmm. and see if I can get a response out of this company. Yeah. And if the mailroom or the security teams overseeing the mailroom isn't plugged in to this trend, then they might not connect that that person just escalated up one level and now it's physical. Now I've got it's actually in the building and has the potential to cause harm for my actual employees. It's not just digital anymore. Right. Or and mail is, is a part of that. Yeah, we're moving to the next step. So like a lot of um, a lot of companies and I've been in a whole lot of mailrooms now and now I've been in a whole lot of prisons. There's a list usually handwritten on the wall. I mean, Going back to a movie, I'm glad I called that guy, you know, with the everybody's name written in lipstick, and it was that Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, whichever one it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. Glad I called that guy. So yeah. that list is on almost every wall we walk into, and it's it's those are the people who have escalated threats before, and half of the time they're caught digital first, and they're caught physical. You talk to the EP team, you talk to corporate security, they know how those people got on that list. And they, they know the life cycle of their level of aggression and they're expecting to not let them in the front door ever. And it, but it's one of those wind vanes that you can, you can throw out there and have for free low hanging fruit. Yeah, absolutely fascinating guys. I, I'm just so happy to get to meet and talk to both of you. I mean, I really think that there's uh, I, I'll tell you if you're listening to this and, and you need to engage with these guys, I would absolutely do it. If you feel like, um, from a risk management, from a securities, you know, experts perspective, these guys definitely can mitigate risk and know what you guys are doing. I mean, this is brilliant. I, I can't wait. I actually think that, um, you know, we, we may have a couple ideas too, uh, you know, to look at how the threat anomaly game is evolving that I'd love to talk to you both, you know, about, cause I, I just, I just feel like we're missing the boat as an industry when it comes to this. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have to stay ahead. One of our core fundamentals here at the North Group with our analyst team is, I mean, they have a lot of their billable work they do, but they also have a portion of their work that is absolutely not billable. It is R&D yeah. to understand what the threats are around the world and how they're evolving. So we're in front of it. So when we start to see it rear its head, we can get out in front of it and call folks, you folks at, at Ray Secure and say, hey, we need to kind of, you know, build a buffer. Um, and a perimeter around this customer's intake and, and outbound um, communications. And you guys are definitely an integral part of what that would look like for sure. Awesome. Also we appreciate your time, really. Yeah. Thank you so much, TJ Kelly, Will Plummer with Ray Secure, and of course, Steve and I uh, with the North Group. Um, 
stay tuned for more blogs, podcasts, just like this one. Visit our website, tngdefense.com. And again, you can get a hold of Ray Secure if you want to chat with those guys. But thanks, everybody. Really enjoyed this. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks.